0: All right, we're excited to be moving on to episode two of Right at the Fork. And we have uh, had a nice conversation with Nick Zookin today. And uh, you'll hear from him his thoughts on Yelp. We all know anybody who knows Nick Zookin, he's not afraid to uh, pull a punch. And uh, that's one of the reasons we wanted to have him have you hear what he has to say. He's going to talk about Running a restaurant in Portland, some of the challenges uh, and his goals in doing so, his book, The Artisan Jewish Deli at Home, where he's going to eat and why you might want to go there and where he recommends to others to go to eat. So uh, really enjoyed my time with Nick and uh, hope you do too. Hi, how are you?
1: Good. Hey,
0: how's it going? All right, how are you doing? Make yourself comfortable You good? Got him on. How you doing this morning, Nick?
2: I am terrific.
0: Good. <laughs> I see on your Facebook f- feed just a relaxing morning for you, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. I knew a couple of days ago I probably should have canceled this, but I uh, decided not to. <laughs>
0: you can't cancel this. What did, what did you have that was more important than this this morning?
2: Uh, 20 dozen tamales. 20 dozen? <laughs> yeah. Today, another 20 dozen tomorrow. Um, I have a bunch of stuff at the new space I have to do, liquor licenses, you know, nothing Simple important. Simple stuff
0: with the LLCC. Yeah, yeah. So how's that new place? How's the new uh, Mi Maramole? M Triple M, what do you like to call it? Mi Maramole. Okay. So how's the new, new one going? coming along? Construction's
2: you... done. Great. So uh, just you... trying to finish up all the other little things.
0: When do you imagine slinging the first taco over there?
2: Uh, I don't know. We'll probably do a soft opening in December sometime, and then uh, open fully in January.
0: All right. As though you didn't have enough. You got, you got your book. I'm sure there's a little bit of promotion going on with that.
2: Yeah, that's part of the problem too. I'm supposed to go to Seattle for four days uh, um, starting this Sunday. So.
0: And uh, yeah, thank you. Um, and so yeah, you got a little on your plate.
2: Yeah, how do you do it? So I'll I'll, I'll leave it? here at like ten o'clock at night Saturday, drive up to Seattle. I have to be at a uh, at the pantry for a cooking class the next morning at eight a.m., and then do that cooking class and then three more days of promotional stuff, and I'll feel like I should have been back here uh, working.
0: <laughs> so you know, one of the things I hear from chefs a lot is that they don't know how to say no. Is that your is that a problem you have?
2: I don't generally have a problem saying no. Um, but, uh, you know, you don't always know what's going to be on your plate at some future point or whatever. So, you know, you try to fit whatever you can in and that's just how it works.
0: So I, I've heard, you know, an occasional rant from you on Facebook
2: here and there. Yeah, an occasional. A couple of things. <laughs> and, and I know... Well, the, uh, over under is three per day, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Are you betting on it? Is it? Can I get in on the insider yeah, exactly. on that? I'd love to do that. So, um... You know, you have a lot going on. You have, as I said, your book. You've got your restaurant, which and you're hands on. This is not something that you opened and just handed off to other people. You're hands no, on. No, no.
2: Yeah, I'm about eighty hours a week right now in the wow.
0: restaurant. Wow, that's. You would think after this is your second, third restaurant, correct? Uh, well, well if you Zooks. count
2: all the Kenny and Zooks, it'd be my. This one's my fourth, and the new one will be the fifth, I guess. So.
0: Do you have any? Is there any further involvement in Kenny and Zooks? Uh,
2: not management wise. I just uh, own a piece still. That's it. Um, yeah, there's a buyout plan with Ken, but uh, that doesn't fully work out for a couple of years still. So,
0: so I never hear you really talking about Kenny and Zooks. You gotta have. Well, I'm not still, there day to
2: day. So. I know,
0: but you gotta have frustrations in your. You're uh, an owner, so what? Where does that go?
2: Uh, frustrations with Kenny and Zooks. Yeah. Oh, I just try to. I just try to. Um, not think about it too much anymore.
0: (laughs) So, but you're not a, you you
2: know, I'm plenty busy with other stuff that, you know, thinking about one more thing, it's easy not to think about it. Right.
0: That's the first one that you want to drop off, but still it's got to, that's, that's Ken's frustration. You have a a thought or two. (laughs) So, um, the new location in Old Town. Yes. That's going to be a little different than being over on division.
2: Uh, it will be. Um, you know, originally when I, thought of doing the space on division, we figured we'd be lunch and dinner. Um, I wanted to start with dinner just because I knew it'd be better dinner than lunch where it is. I mean, there's not really that many businesses around it. Um, But pretty much we only do lunch on weekends, Friday, Saturday, Sunday at the uh, current space. But um, at the new space, we'll start with only lunch. So at least Monday through Friday, we might start with evenings on first Thursdays or something like that. But I like to take things slow. Um, definitely learned my lesson from when Kenny and Zooks opened originally. Um, you know, Ken wanted to be open 24 hours a day from the get go at Kenny and Zooks, and I talked him out of that. And we ended up going down to just um, we we're op- we we're closed on Mondays, so we we're open six days a week, and we we're open till 3 a.m. on weekends. And I was working 120 plus hours a week because I would uh I would do the weekend nights and. So, I would um, get there at 10 a.m. I would work until 3 a.m. And at 2 a.m., we'd get full. And so at 3 a.m., you know, we'd stop taking orders. 4 a.m., we'd get people out, get cleaned up. Um, I'd have three or four employees, most of which were busing it, and the buses aren't really running. So, I'd take, you know, a couple of them home. I was living in Vancouver. I'd get home, Vancouver, maybe 5 a.m., and be back the next morning at 10 a.m. So, (laughs) yeah. So, I learned my lesson of, of overdoing it to start out with. So I think we'll start with just lunch um, in Old Town, which will make things a lot easier. And that's really the crowd that's down there, I think.
0: So 80 hours a week is your benchmark for not overdoing it? Yeah,
2: 80 hours a (laughs) week. 80 hours a week is nice. (laughs) So
0: let me ask you a question. So, you know, there are people, we hope listening, who uh, are new in the business, they're thinking about it. You've been you've been around the block, uh-huh. and you're now working eight hours a week. You're opening a second restaurant. Uh, are you you know you're you're planning your vacations to Tahiti? What's what's the end game for you? When are you when are you going to be happy? And what do you do this for?
2: Well, the first thing I'd say to those people considering a job in uh, the restaurant industry is: uh, Have you considered law school? <laughs> you <know? laughs> um, your Jewish grandmother was right. <laughs> you know? um, no. You know, I would love to be able to uh, scale back at some point how much work I do. Um, you know, I'm, I'm blessed to have a very good manager in Pablo. Um, I mean, you've met Pablo. Uh, Pablo was highlighted in Portland Monthly this last month. Um, he's a really great guy. Um, he's one of those few, um, you know, you really – it's really hard to find managers like that, that where you can put your trust in them and you know that um, for all the things you have to do as a restaurateur – you know if it's little things like um, fixing a toilet or you know uh, getting a refrigerator working to you know dealing with customers and making f- sure the foods right and stuff finding someone who's um, as good at that at those things as you um, is difficult especially since the restaurant industry doesn't pay well I mean we just can't at 275 a taco um, but to find someone like Pablo um, has really helped. So it has allowed me to go on some trips now and then and be able to go up to Seattle to promote the book or anything. I would not do that if I didn't have someone I could trust like Pablo. So that helps a lot, and long-term it will help a lot. Um, um, we're, uh, we're actually going to give Pablo part of um, the company um, going forward um, because we recognize how good he is. So that helps a ton. And long-term, you know, I'd like to help Pablo with a restaurant idea, um, I'd like to do maybe some more moles, Um but you know, finding more people like Pablo is going to be the key to being able to uh, to to um, you know release a little responsibility on my part.
0: That's the challenge in a city like Portland. There are so many places to eat, so many restaurants, and one of the things I hear from a lot of people running restaurants is it's really hard to find. Good help, and at what point do we hit well, the saturation level where it doesn't even matter if the help is good anymore? Just you're you're you know putting someone in.
2: Well, we're in kind of an odd situation in Oregon in that uh you know a lot of states have uh, uh, tip credit laws, so um, that means that um, for example, a server, anybody who gets tips, can be paid less than minimum wage as long as their tips uh, make sure that they get paid more than minimum wage. So what you get in a lot of st- states that have that is you get a lot of, um, uh, frankly immigrant, um, labor, um, even in the front of the house, uh, at places they're getting paid, you know, two thirty five an hour, and then they're getting tips. So they might have three times as many front of the house people as you do in Portland. Um, so it's kind of an interesting thing because in Portland you have, um, you have more educated servers, uh, and you have people who, um, can actually make a, a decent living. I mean, you know, servers a lot of times are the highest paid people in a restaurant.
0: Right, but you still have to fill the back of the house. Right, That's and tough. then you
2: have to fill the back of the house. So the hard thing is in those other states, you know, they'll move around the income a little bit more so that the back of the house gets a little bit paid more and the front of the house is really working for tips. Um, so in Portland, there's a constant, um, a constant uh, competition for those employees, and they're always moving and eking out you know, a little bit more here and there. There's also a sense, you know, it's easy to get burned out in a kitchen. I mean, you're working a lot of hours, you're on your feet, you're in a hot um, kitchen, you can get burned out. You know, a lot of people are doing the same thing every day. They're making the same, you know, four soups and salads or whatever, you know what I mean? Every day after day after day, peeling potatoes, whatever. So you get burned out in that kitchen. You just want to move just because it's something different and you just need a change of scenery. And so that's a big challenge in keeping employees is just trying to keep them interested. And because Portland doesn't have a lot of restaurant groups, you know, besides, you know, Kurt Huffman and uh, Micah Camden, some people like that, uh, I mean, there's there's not that many big restaurant groups. And the restaurant groups can move people around. Um, you know, they can have them go work here for a while, manage over there. Or just uh, right. give them the opportunity so they
0: have, the inset- they have a, a carrot. To- right.
2: I mean, that's part of what uh, – Andy Ricker at Pock Pock says uh, motivated him to expand a little was to be able to give some opportunities to people and keep them on.
0: That's what John Gorham said. That's why he opened the first Tasty was just to give his Toro people a place to go.
2: I can understand it. I mean, because I mean, you can see it, uh, you know, cooks just constantly move from place to place. And it's as much just to find something else to do, I think, as to get a little bit more money or to find a little more security or whatever they can. Um, I mean, there's also a sense that you want to be at the cool place, making cool things, making good things, maybe, you know, uh, get the experience so that you can be a chef, owner someday, um, that sort of thing. Um, So it is a challenge. It's a constant challenge to keep employees, uh, bartenders in this town. I mean, they're constantly moving around. Um,
0: You know, one of the things I follow you on Facebook and I uh follow your extra MSG uh, blog as well. Um, you're you you know you you do a lot and you talk about a lot of the challenges out there. So for a guy that's working eighty hours a week, um, we hear about what goes on at the checkout counter and who's driving down the street on the bike and so forth. The other the one, that,
2: double-edged sword of the iPhone, right? <laughs> yeah, it's
0: it's fun. I mean, I actually marvel knowing how busy you are and how you have the time to to comment on all, the, not only experience all of those things. Uh, but comment on them. And we actually, uh, we had, as you know, or you may know, Don Barassa was an earlier guest here. From Yelp. From Yelp. Yelp is something you're fairly familiar <laughs> with. And, um, and I've see, of course, one of the fun things about following you is uh, your commentary on Yelp. And, uh, you know, you, you draw attention to it as well. But we asked uh, Don specifically about Ratings and statistics and so forth, and what his feelings were and court. If you could just roll that, so Nick can just hear one little clip that he uh, he mentioned, and I wanted to get you to
2: respond to it. Okay. Well, my response to Nick Zukan is that he has four and a half stars on <laughs> lots of reviews on his on his taco business, so he's doing great on Yelp. Well, I've only got four stars now. It's they they. Tr- <laughs> you know, my theory on Yelp is that they primarily. Um, they try to grade deflate, basically. I think they worry about getting um, too many places with four and a half or five stars, um, which means it ends up being a little arbitrary who they deflate. I mean, you'll have places um, that might have 50 five-star reviews filtered and only like three or four one-star reviews filtered. And, you know, sure, it's the algorithm or whatever. Um, I don't think that's entirely true, but uh, but it's still um, – it's a little crushing, especially to small independent restaurants, um, to see all these five-star reviews that you know are valid just disappear because Yelp basically wants to deflate your grade. And I think that's the case. I mean, personally, I don't have a problem with um, with people going on to Yelp and saying whatever they want to say. I do have a problem with the ratings just because it's so powerful. And um, I don't think most people look at the reviews to see who's – uh, actually knows what they're talking about and who's an idiot, um, and you know, so that's that's the problem I have with it.
0: Do you think people would actually um, go on there and see a four star review and say no, it's not five because you don't find any five. So
2: <laughs> I don't think that's what they do. I think what they do though is they, um, I mean, there's some great places though with like three and three and a half stars too, um, but uh, I think what they do is they'll they'll sort or look through, um, oh, let's look through the pizza. Oh, this place is five stars, it must be great. Or this place, and this place is only four stars, so I'm gonna go to that one instead of this one. And, you know, a lot of factors in those ratings are things like just how well people know about it, um, how many places they have, so um, what they've heard of. Um, in Portland, being a cart really has a strong effect. Um, if you look through the review, the ratings um, and sort by, say, cuisine, carts will be at the top, even though a lot of the uh, places that are below them in the ratings are clearly better. Um, it's just that you have a little cachet with being a cart. Um, so there's things like that that change um, how they are. If you're out in the burbs, you're probably not going to get as good a rating. Um, I don't know. All kinds of things affect it.
0: So I'm just uh, – you know, one of the things we've discussed this actually, when you – when you there's a negative review, and some of them you have – you're great at responding. I have to mm-hmm. say you get – some crazy people in there, and it's got to be tough to figure out. Okay, how am I going to deal with this publicly?
2: <laughs> but did you ever read the? Uh, I did like the one with the family.
0: Oh, I don't know if I read the poem. You didn't read the poem one. No,
2: well, go to then again go to Yelp and find Nick's <laughs> Nick's poem. Uh, I did. Yeah, I did a poem. I can't remember what it was, but uh, I did a poem um, on there. So, oh man. Well, we'll, you gotta we'll read find that
0: one. it, but but. Here's my question, don't you, you know, so you're responding to negative reviews, and then your, your whole following, you're saying, go look at this negative review and see how I responded to it. So, do you think there's a possibility that you might be doing, that's just good for you, or is it more harm than good?
2: Uh, I've had the discussion, you know, um, my, whenever I've talked about it with people, um, I always say that it's probably not the smartest you know, or shrewdest, I think would be the right word. It's probably not the shrewdest way to do it. Uh, I don't really give a shit, but um, but that's it's probably not the shrewdest. I mean, if you have if you wanted to look at shrewd, I'd look at like how Salt and Straw responds. Salt and Straw will respond, and I mean, you know, she came out of the marketing department of uh, Starbucks. Starbucks. I yeah. mean, she knows what she's doing. Um, they will respond, you know, positively to everybody. You know, no matter how stupid the the complaint is and oh sorry about that you know you should come back in we'll give you a free ice cream whatever um you know maybe 10 years ago i would have done that um 15 years ago but at some point in my life i just said screw it (laughs) you know you know some people deserve to be honked at on the road some people deserve to be told hey look your shopping cart is blocking this whole damn aisle get the hell out of my way um, and, you know, so, and some and people on Yelp just publicly. need to be told that they're stupid and quit being stupid, and you know they'll never come in again, and I'm okay with that.
0: And they wouldn't have come in anyway. Probably so.
2: not. I mean, you know, I definitely learned early on at Kenny and Zooks that there are some customers that um, are not worth the extra effort. They will they will literally tear down the morale of your entire house every time they come in. They'll be so high maintenance and um, so bitchy and negative that, um, you know, servers won't want to go near them. They'll all be fighting over who has to take them, you know, and it just tears down everything in you. And, um, you know, they'll do things like uh, there'll be a line of for 30 minutes or something. They'll go and just sit down at a table, you know, and I've walked over to people and say, you know what? Look, you're just not welcome here. And they'll do the I know the owner. And, you know, it's like. Sorry, you're out. <laughs> you know, I don't care.
0: Now I know the owner just a little bit better. <laughs> yeah.
2: So, um, I don't know. Everybody's got to make that balance themselves. Uh, I think I am very generous and nice to people who care, even if they don't like my food. Um, you know, I had an interaction yesterday with somebody, the uh, mo- l- latest review on Yelp. person said they came in, generally have liked the food. Um they thought it was too salty and they, and we forgot their tortillas. Um, you know, okay. I emailed him privately. I said, you know, I'd love to know more about your experience when you came in, what was too salty? Really sorry about that. If I can send you a gift certificate to make up for it, I would, you know, emailed back and forth, had a good interaction. Um, you know, she told me, which was really helpful. It was the beans and rice one day that too salty you know i talked to my employees we talked about the rice i actually told her hey look um, you know we actually have noticed that sometimes uh, when the rice gets done the rice cooker someone doesn't stir it enough uh, the one the the rice on the bottom gets salty you know that's something constructive and helpful you know i don't mind getting that type of negative review at all Um, you know I, i might prefer them to you know if they've had four good experiences and one bad experience To, um, you know, not wait until they had the bad experience to do the Yelp review and maybe email me instead or something. But, you know, either way, I'm fine with it. You know, I've been very vocal about bad experiences with places that I've had. Really? Oh, really? (laughs)
0: I've never never seen that. So I wanted to ask you about your experiences. When you go out, Uh what's more important to you? The actual taste of the food? Or I know you went to great pains to open me Mi marimola. You you were traveling Mexico. You went down to Texas. Um, is what's more important to you, the taste or the authenticity?
2: Oh, the taste is more important to me, I'd say. Um, but it's not that authenticity is or isn't important to me. It's just um, I do think that a lot of times uh, uh, chefs and restaurant tours are lazy, and and. Personally, I really uh, I really kind of um, dread the loss of, uh, of culinary traditions. And, you know, every day, you know, things get lost. I mean, it just is the way of the, of the world. Um, we have an opportunity, I think, now in the way that we can save information um, to kind of capture those things so that they don't truly get lost. But, um, you know, every day stuff gets lost. Um, you know, some grandmother's personal recipe – you know, dies with her, um, in every culture, and um, I personally don't like that. You know, it really—I don't know—I don't know. It kind of drains on me if I think about it. Um, it's not just with that; it's with everything. But I mean, um, so for me to have a chef who says, "Well, I'm going to do Mexican flavors," uh, you know, mash up Portland, this, whatever. You know, it's fine. It could be great. It could be tasty. I might love it. Whatever. Personally, I—I would probably. I don't know if I'd be judgmental, but I would look at it and I'd say, you know what? If you don't go down there and really immerse yourself in it or immerse yourself in even cookbooks here or talking to people or whatever, um, you're missing something. And you're missing, you know, 2,000 years of tradition that you could be working off of. I mean, you don't need to invent things in the most part. I mean, just rediscover things a lot of times and things that people have um, have through trial and error and tradition you know, proved to be wonderful. Um, you know.
0: So, do you have that? If you feel that you're at a restaurant, do you have that discussion directly with them or are you going to. Oh, throw I've had it out that discussion the, with the Twitter-verse? them. Twitterverse. So yeah. A little bit before, of both. Yeah. Before, do you p- throw things on Twitter before you've had that discussion? I mean, you can Oh, do sometimes, well. yeah.
2: I mean, you know, uh, I pissed off, I think, uh, Tommy Habits a little bit when Trigger was about to open by going on Eater and saying, like, you know, I hope he. I hope he spends a lot of time in Texas, blah, 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 or whatever. Um,
0: and you and you didn't do that anonymously, which you can't do no, anymore.
2: You know, I rarely do anything, honestly. I mean, sometimes back in, like, shameless restaurant days, I'd troll people a little bit just because they were trolling me. But, no, generally I do everything um, in my own name, and I think that people who don't are being big pussies.
0: Oh, that's good. So you're out there. <laughs>
1: Hey, everybody. We're going to take a quick break to talk about our wonderful sponsor, Portland Food Adventures, and then we'll get right back into the interview.
0: All right. Just to talk about Portland Food Adventures, a thing I know and love, where we do events with chefs. You get to know them and you leave with gift certificates to the places they know and love. Uh, We recently did an event at Chico and... uh, and we have some events coming up in the first quarter that you may want to check out. Uh, Irving Street Kitchen with Sarah Schaefer uh, will be both there and at Standard TV and Appliance in their kitchen uh, with a chef demo. So, those are two different events. At Taula, I'll get that pronunciation right. At Taula, you pronounce it like towel, Do not you. twa. Okay. And um, also at um, Cocotte. In m- February slash March. And that's one of the most beautiful restaurants in Portland. So please check out portlandfoodadventures.com, Portland Food Adventures on Facebook, and Portland Food ADV on Twitter and check out what we got going on and please join us. You, you know, you've just, uh, you're out there with your your book, The Artisan Jewish Deli at Home, that you wrote with Michael Zisman, and Yep. And uh, we'll talk about that for a second. I'm just curious, has he ever reviewed your restaurant?
2: Uh, Mi Mole? No, yes. they would, no one would allow him to review uh, Mi Maramole. Um I mean, he tells me what he thinks. Um, you know, we have a dish on the menu right now that's actually really popular that he told me a couple of weeks ago. He came in and he thought it was bad. Um, you know, that's fine. I talked to him about it. I said, you know, it's a pretty popular one. What was it you didn't like? about? You know, whatever. And... That's fine. <laughs> so how's the book doing? Uh, I think it's doing well. I mean, the first month or so I was, you know, religiously watching how it was doing on Amazon and it was all always in the top 10 on Jewish food books. So I think it's doing well. They don't keep us apprised at the publisher too often. I mean, the big worry for us is that, uh, you know, we personally have to sell a thousand cookbooks. And I think we're maybe halfway through that. Um, is
0: there a period of time for that or just... Eventually. In a in a, year, in a year in a
2: year, so I mean, you know, we'd have, you know that's a that's a, you know, if you figure we get about half off cover price when you count in, um, shipping and all that, so you know, thousand um, times fourteen that's fourteen thousand dollars, so you know, it'd be seven thousand dollars come due if we don't have that paid off.
0: So are there, do you have the books at the restaurant? That's kind of weird. Tell I haven't met me Mole. Yeah, that's
2: <laughs> <laughs> when. uh I uh, I I don't know what the status is at uh, Kenny and Zooks do right you, now.
0: Do you sell a lot of them at Me and Marimola? It just seems like I, an interesting I, combination. I, to I me. sell
2: a surprisingly decent number, not a lot, but a decent number. You know, uh-huh. uh, early on we were selling like one a day for a while there. Well, good. I think they sold out at Kenny and Zooks. Actually, I need to talk them into. Uh, Buying some more. I have a feeling you have a box
0: to give them. <laughs>
2: I have a couple of boxes.
0: So if someone comes in and buys a book from you, you're gonna throw them a couple of tacos. Is that uh,
2: right now? There's an ongoing free taco thing if uh, they buy a if they buy a cookbook.
0: All right. So. Um well, go down and buy a book and get a few few free tacos. As a matter of fact, talk a little bit about guisados and this is not me. Marimole is not the typical taco experience. It's if if you really want something different, delicious. I believe um, it's something you got to do because you did a lot of research, and it wasn't just going in and open another taqueria and going getting, uh, you know, your basic. Taco—it's really kind of cool. Every day, it's 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 Portland. It's a farm to farm to table delicious menu.
2: Right. I'd wanted to do you know I'd want to do a I'd been thinking about opening a restaurant since probably two thousand two two thousand three. I had a bunch of ideas. I mean, some of them actually ended up other people doing them. Like I had an idea for a upscale fast food burger um, place and things like that. I mean, uh, pastrami and bagels just happened to be one that uh, you know I found someone else to partner with, so it made it easier. Um, the, uh, but as far as Mexican food goes, um, I wanted to be able to give people the same sort of food that they get from the high end Mexican restaurants, you know, gourmet home cooking, basically, or home cooking. Um, but at a more affordable price, um, you know, where people could get it in and out for 10 bucks. And, and that's basically what tacos de guisado allows me to do. So in Mexico city. You know, people are, it's very urban. It's like New York or Chicago or San Francisco. Um, You know, people are on the move. They don't have time to go home for their, uh, you know, mid-afternoon comida all the time. Um, So this uh, tacos de guisado is all over, but it's really prominent in Mexico City. It's probably the second most common type of taco. And what you have is you have these stands with maybe 12 to 24 different guisados, which are Mexican stews and stir fries and fritters things like that. And you just pick. You go, I want a taco with that. I want a taco with that. I want a taco with that. And they're breakfast and lunch in Mexico. Um, and so I just emulated that. I mean, I just basically did the exact same thing they're doing, um, put it on a menu and added you know some stuff that people expect in the United States like uh, chips and guac and burritos. But I mean, otherwise, the heart of it is those guisados, those Mexican stews and stir fries and this rotating selection of, um, you know, 12 to 15, um, things that people can get as tacos. Um, and that's why at the top of the menu, it says como en de for the, uh, for the, uh, tacos, because it's like in Mexico city and, um, and you can get them in plates or we do some other funky things like memelas, which is a uh, Oaxacan thing. But, um, but basically it's about getting those tacos. And when people ask and they come in, they say, um, you know, uh, you know, what should I order? I say, you know what, first time you come in, I always recommend that you, you know, do it Mexico city style, get tacos de guisado. So get the tacos and get like three different things. Um, pick three different things, something you're probably going to love, some things you might not love as much, but you'll get a flavor for what we do and, and what they do in Mexico city.
0: You're pretty full when you walk out of there after three tacos. That that I oh man, we had
2: we had Jed who um, used to work at Meat Cheese Bread and Smallwares, and now works at Barista. Come in last night with a couple of friends, and he was like, "I'm ordering three tacos and a burrito," and uh, I was like, "You're not gonna finish that," <laughs> and he finished it. I don't know how some people do it. When we did our original opening, we had eight different tacos people would choose from. You know, the special opening we had like really cheap, like a buck each or something. And people would down all eight tacos. I mean, I'm a big dude and I can eat a lot. And three is like, you know, about my max, maybe yeah, four. So I don't I know how do in the hell they I've do done, it.
0: I've now, yeah, two or three, but three's a lot. So, um. And they're always skinny people, you, bastards. What are, you, what are you digging in Portland right now? What's your, where are you, what have you discovered that maybe others don't know about?
2: Oh, discovered that others don't know about. Geez. Um. I would say probably, uh probably stuff you know on the uh on the east side where people don't get out to you know i still love places like el inca i mean people have heard about it but they still don't go to it because it's way out in gresham i mean some probably some of the best rotisserie chicken in portland you know real wood oven uh smoky it's got all these peruvian flavors they have probably the best fish ceviche in town i mean bar none el inca el inca okay i mean better than all the upscale places cool um you know, there's this place, uh, a Oaxacan cart um, out at 183rd and Stark that's open on weekends that does tlayudas, which is a uh, like a giant Oaxacan tostada, um, usually rubbed with asiento, which is the drippings from after making carnitas, so the pork cra- uh, fat and cracklings. So they rub it with that, then some puree black beans, then cheese and veggies, and then you can get a meat on it too, um, things like that. Um, you know, what,
0: I. What about someone's coming into town for one dinner? Where do you usually tell them to go?
2: I usually recommend either um, Wildwood or Ox right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Ox is really hard to get into. Um, you know, a lot I I had a friend who came into town. We went to Ox and you know, it's kinda funny you think about Ox as this big meat place. And I had friends who, you know, say, Yeah, I'd go to Ox, but you know, I'm really about the vegetables. They've you know, everything can get be bought in large or small portions there. And, you know, just like when uh when he was at Metro Vino, you know, he's got all these great vegetable preparations that are really interesting and in flavors and really tasty. And we probably ordered, you know, five or six of those and only the skirt steak for meat. Right. You know, plus, you know, they've got that uh, fish crudo sampler plate, you know. Uh, and I still think Wildwood probably among the places that uh, that still really do more of the local seasonal um, thing. Because, you know, the recently I think the turn has been more towards um, – Taking an ethnicity, like Toro Bravo probably started that a lot, but I mean, you know, ox is that way, um, you know, lots of other places that way, and putting a Portland sort of spin on it. You know, Wildwood is still kind of that, uh, you know, European, new American uh, with lots of seasonal um, produce that's local as well. And I think they do that probably better than anybody else still. Um, I, I still, when I go there, you know, I'm, I'm happy with my meal every time.
0: It's funny. I asked uh, Vitaly Paley the same question a while ago, and Wildwood is the first thing that came to mind for him. So that's a—that's well, probably yeah. easy
2: lunch for him, or it was. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Go well, there. it's right over there.
0: <laughs> so, quick, just very quickly, why do people need to buy your book, The Artisan Jewish Deli at Home?
2: Uh, well, I think we capture a lot of things that. Uh, haven't been done in a Jewish cookbook before. I mean, focusing on the deli and not focus on one specific deli. You know, there's five uh, delis throughout the country that are highlighted there and provided um, provided recipes. Um, they're profiled. There's a lot of interesting cultural information in there as well uh, that Michael researched. Um, and I think we have a different approach in that um, we get back to what they were doing 100 years ago, which was taking their... Uh, their Jewish taste and their Jewish traditions and saying, um, how how is this going to be ours? I mean, that's how pastrami came about. It's like, you know, they were not gonna make pastrami in Eastern Europe, they didn't have all the cows that we have in the United States. So, uh, you know, they took those traditions of goose and duck and turned it into a beef thing where you can have these sandwiches piled high. Well, in our cookbook, there's, you know, uh, seasonal pot roast, for example, you know, four different seasons of pot roast using whatever's uh local and seasonal then and i think in that way it's it's more of an inspiration for people than just a um than just something to put on the coffee table and say oh look this is what we ate when we were kids or something i think we look forward um more than looking back a lot of times and when we do look back it's looking back 100 200 years
0: right so you got the the Tradition and the artisan part is looking forward. Exactly. And uh, what I enjoyed most about the book, and I didn't read it cover to cover, um, I, I, the recipes are great, but you told us what was behind the recipes, and uh, I think you know it's important to know what, what we're doing and why we're eating. Uh, that's part of the experience, it's not just the flavors. Okay. So um, Nick, I know you, as you said, right up top, you had a lot of things to do, so I appreciate your coming by today. Um, thanks, thanks for having thanks me so much. Um, come back again. I will. Great. Thanks. thanks. Thank you. Well, that was very cool. I an- always enjoy talking to uh, Nick because you he doesn't uh, he doesn't mince words.
1: No, he's always got an opinion, and yeah. he's, he's not shy about expressing it too. And I think that's that's really cool of him because you know a lot of times when you run your own business and you get into a public forum, you want to present yourself a certain way and he's he's not shy about saying it like it is.
0: You know what I like most about Nick is you hear people talk about him from because of what he posts online and um, you know he's he can be a little caustic, I guess. Every time I've sat down to talk to him, he's just a really nice guy yeah. and he's no bullshit. Yeah.
1: He's he's not so scary. No. I'm not not at all.
0: He him. and he, you know, what he's a wealth of knowledge. Right. He knows a lot and and what he has to say, I think is something everyone should take it, take to heart.
1: He makes me want to run home and look through my grandmother's cookbook to see what recipes I need to be I need to be cooking.
0: Well, he'd probably rather you listen to his you you run home and get his cookbook.
1: Well, from. I'll do both. I have I have a great grandmother, so I do Well, that.
0: don't forget we want him to promote this, so you have to
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah,
0: you have to get the book. artisan Junior's still at home, but I I really enjoyed that and um uh to enjoy more of us, certainly follow us on Facebook. At right at the fork and on Twitter, at foodpodcastpdx. Food
1: Podcast PDX. Food Podcast. I got that right. You got it right.
0: And um, also, certainly, I welcome you to check into PortlandFoodAdventures.com. where we're running some pretty cool events. And Portland Food Adventures on Facebook and PDX Food Adventures on Twitter. Heather, you?
1: I'm at HJ Consult on Twitter and HeatherJonesConsulting dot com, and yeah, I have a Facebook page too, but yeah, whatever.
0: Yeah. Well. <laughs> You know, sometimes I just, oh, well, we won't get into that. Uh, So the most important thing is tell your friends to listen. We're just getting this thing up and rolling. Yes,
1: help us spread the word.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Thanks, everybody.